We're in the room alone. We settle back in the bed. The lights are out. And the moment when I'm starting to mentally relax and conk out into sleep, there are three hard knocks against my bedroom door. I immediately jolt up awake. I'm looking around. Riley only stirs to look at me. And that line plays back in my head. They don't haunt houses, they haunt minds. Mine, 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 mine. From the dawn of the spoken word, storytelling has been the backbone of human culture, warning of looming dangers and evoking our most personal fears. What you're about to hear are the real-life experiences of everyday people, brave enough to share their terrifying tales. Tales where the horror hits close to home. I'm your host, Danny. Welcome to the Hometown Horrors Podcast. Listen, if you dare. You mentioned a little bit earlier having different experiences with sleep paralysis, and there was the story of feeling touching on you. Mm -hmm. In my own life, I've had sleep paralysis dreams before. I've had the experience of, you know, is that a pile of laundry or is the dog in the room? Your eyes are like blurry when you wake up. Literally. I stayed at my parents' house until I was around 28, 29, just because, you know, paying off student loans. I bought a new car. Me and my friend got a two-bedroom apartment very close to where we work, like minutes away. So he, being the one that put down money for the mortgage, lived in the master. And I lived in, like, the side room downstairs. And I had so many sleep paralysis dreams in that little side room. Part of it was just being out on my own for the first time. Like, this is my first space away from my childhood room. You wake up, you get the sleep paralysis, you're in a dark, unfamiliar place, and it just feels weird. Other times, there was a dark figure standing over top of you, or someone standing next to you, but your eyes are closed. I felt that way, too, in that room. It's also gotten weirder, though, because sometimes it would be my roommate standing over me. Not actually him in oh. real life, but like in the, oh, in the little dream. paralysis, oh, okay. dream, vision, whatever it is. Yeah. Like it would be him. I was working from home for a while, too, so the door to the room is backlit by the light of the common area. One time it was the computer chair against the door, backlit by the outside room. It's like it's attached to the stress of what's actually happening in my life. But it's also just comical, too. Yeah. It's like you're getting antagonized by something like a paperclip. Yeah. <laughs> but my two most crazy experiences were I had a dream where I was on the side of the bed towards the huge bay window. And that's the only natural light source. And it's always lit by a street lamp that's right outside. So on the sides of this big bay window, there are blackout curtains. And when they're folded up, there may be like a foot across. And in a dream, I was talking to somebody that was standing in the darkness of where the curtain was. And I woke up out of the dream. I'm like, oh, dude, that was crazy. And I was just kind of staring at the curtain. And her hand reaches out from the curtain and slaps the top of mine. I was frozen with fear for like a minute. Yeah, we're both looking around the room. (laughs) Because in your dreams, everything feels natural. It's only after the dream is concluded that you try to attribute narrative, structure, understanding to it. Your subconscious is just like an alphabet soup of random things in your head, and they all come together and they form different things each time you have a dream. It could be a thought you had during that day or a childhood fear you've had your entire life. There's no rhyme or reason to what weird indie movie your head's going to produce. It was one of those moments that will stick with you. I can imagine, especially if it touched me. And I've got one more experience in that place that was very similar. I want to say it was maybe a week or a week and a half after. 
I was laying on the other side of the bed, away from the window, but towards the door that would lead into like the common area of the apartment. And I kind of had my arm laying off the side of the bed. And I was getting to the part of the morning where I know my alarm's coming up. I know the sun will start coming up soon. I'm starting to naturally wake up and just, you know, feel my awakeness. And now as that was happening, I felt fingers intertwine with mine. And there was just a weird moment of like me and that disembodied hand kind of wiggling our fingers together. I'd say there's something deeper there. It's been hands both times. Yeah, but I never opened my eyes. I never looked. And I know you've held in a feeling about this. And now that we're not in the house anymore, I want you to talk about it a little bit more. Like, what was it you felt with that bedroom specifically? I felt very heavy vibes. I think in a lot of places like that, you get a lot of energy. People that used to live there, people that live around you, people that are in the same building, people that are on the same floor. And maybe even in the area too, because that's kind of it with the cityscape. I very vividly remember when you lived in there, totally different vibe. To specify, I moved out and my former roommate had his girlfriend move in and they're building a life together there and we've dog sat for them and we've actually slept and stayed in my old room. And the energy there is entirely different. It's like the things that were trapped in your room before never got the chance to air out. I think that whatever existed there before you found you and you just gave it a source to work with. So you would say that I'm like a conduit if something was there. Absolutely. And it might not even have been dispersed, but it wouldn't necessarily know that I'm back. Correct. It just doesn't have you to feed on constantly in the sense that... And maybe my vibe has changed. I don't know that it has. I would 100% agree that your vibe has changed since you've lived there. So have you felt any presence there? Oh, absolutely. I felt a couple times when we were there, like I had been woken up by someone else, but you would be asleep. And I would just look around the room very timidly. Like, like you were shook awake or there was just movement in the room? There was just a presence. You know when somebody's like standing behind you, like we talked about it in episode one, that moment where you feel like there's somebody else in the room and something maybe said something or maybe moved me in some way that I would wake up and it wasn't you because you would still be asleep. Whenever you stare at somebody, isn't it interesting that like no matter what, they'll kind of feel your stare and then look at you? You could be driving past somebody and then stare at them for a moment and then they'll stare at you and then you'd look away. It's almost like an energy, right? Like they feel the laser of your attention on them and they have to look. And I guess that's the same thing with presence in general. I think when there is energy, we are drawn to it. You respond to it, yeah. yeah. Did anything come out of those experiences, though? I never had any of the experiences you did, but I feel like my vibe was also different. If anything, whatever was in the room when you lived there was more of a curiosity towards me. Like a, hey, are you going to fall into what we already have going here? That's interesting because it's more of like an energy prodding at you than it is something you could identify. Well, because I don't know the history of that place, so I don't want to assume that it was a person or anything like that. There wasn't like a spooky history of the place. It was like a young couple that lived there with a number of cats. And they just moved out to get a larger place. But there was definitely an energy there. I don't know if it was just the transition of growing up in the suburbs where the night sounds are like crickets and birds and maybe a car driving by every once in a while. Whereas like living in a, not necessarily a city, but a more populated area where it's like sirens and cars driving past and streetlights outside. But since I moved back home, I've been sleeping a lot better and a lot easier. But I have had experiences where as a young adult, I was working whatever crappy little job I had. 
my parents would go on away on vacation. I just couldn't get off. And for the week, you know, I'd be staying home watching the dog or staying home working. And during those times, there would be a little more nerve wracking experience of like, I'm completely alone in this house aside from an animal. Before you tell this story, can I just say, in the way that we talked about energies, a lot of this story plays into the fact that you were super anxious. How do we tell the difference between what was a reach from the beyond or what was our anxieties? The things that affect us come from us. Yes. So I was coming home from work to what I knew would be an empty house. It was maybe like nine or 10 o'clock. So at the time I was reading one of my favorite horror series, J-Date, John Dies at the End. If you're looking for like a really fun modern horror, but it intersperses a lot of comedy, I've heard it described as Lovecraftian horror, but if Beavis and Butthead were the main characters. <laughs> so the two main characters of the book, John and Dave, are going to a haunted house and they're trying to help this girl. She's had experiences of haunting and they're trying to draw whatever spiritual presence there is. John's the goofier character. He goes up, he's like, I'm gonna go take a shower, like trying to lure out a spirit. Gonna be by myself. And Dave's kind of the skittish, more skeptical guy. And the line he keeps repeating to himself is that they don't haunt houses, they haunt minds. I believe that. So I read a little bit of my book, the little pug we have. We go to sleep in my room. The house is dark. Everything's locked up. And I wake up at some point in the night. It was an anxious wake up. I'd had a dream that startled me, but I didn't have any memory of what it was. And it's the kind of feeling where you've got to turn on some lights. you got to walk around the house. you got to make sure things are hunky-dory. And our pug, Riley, is the kind of dog where if she thinks she hears something, she goes off like an alarm. She's yapping and barking. And I can't tell you how many times I tried to sneak home in my college years. She would ruin it every time at three in the morning. So me and her wake up, we case the house, we check the locks, we check the rooms. And this is never a fun experience at like 3 a.m., especially if you're already scared. If I wake up any moment between 3 and 3.30, I will stay awake until 4 o'clock. Just to make sure everything because passes. I will not fall asleep in the presence of whatever could be awake and alert at 3 to 3.30 because I am so yeah, afraid. false alarm or... Yeah, was I really awakened by something that's wrong? Uh, I will not go back to sleep until 4 in the morning. I can't. I can't. That's the core of what I want to get to with this whole podcast. That whole fear of, yeah, but maybe, but you don't know. These are the things that live in your head. I know if I wake up at like 3.02, I have to wait until 4.02. Like that's the kind of madness that happens. So her and I do the check. The garage door is closed. The doors are locked. We make it back upstairs. We turn out the lights behind us. You always make sure to like not look down the stairs of a dark house after you turn off the lights. We're in the broom alone. We settle back in the bed. The lights are out. And the moment when I'm starting to mentally relax and conk out into sleep, there are three hard knocks against my bedroom door. I immediately jolt up awake. I'm looking around. I'm like, holy shit. Riley only stirs to look at me. And that line plays back in my head. They don't haunt houses. They haunt minds. There are things in our reality that aren't immediately perceivable to us. We're only equipped to perceive the things around us with the tools we have. It's already been proven through other animals that we don't have the best sense of smell. We don't have the best sense of hearing. We don't have the best vision. 
I like to think that sometimes through our mindset or just our feelings, we can maybe get into the frequency of some other. It's like you're in the matrix plane. and you've tapped into the yeah, motherboard. Like you, that's a, a common trope in almost every scary movie. If yeah. you're fucking around with a Ouija board, you tap into the spiritual. Once the ghosts know you can see them, they're trying to communicate with you. And I feel like sometimes people just catch that vibe every now and again. Some people are born seeing it more than other people. Stop me if you haven't had a friend that's like, oh, I see things all the time. I think I am that friend. <laughs> no, you are. You're that person. You've also probably met people. I've met plenty of other people in my life that are like, I was driving to work and I was thinking of my mom and I just had to go home and see her. And it turns out grandma died. But I think to an extent that whatever your mental framework is, is how the world responds to you. Let's say you see a yellow car and you think about it and then all you see is yellow cars everywhere you go. If you consciously start looking for something, you'll see it more. You probably encountered like the diehard Christian or Catholic person that perceives everything as like a sign from God, right? Sure. And it's not even that they're wrong. It's just that's how their mind sees it. And maybe to some extent, like if there is a sentience or vibe to the universe, you're empowered to continue along that path by whatever you believe. So my main contention with you being that you look for signs, that you look for empowerment from astrology crystals. I'd like to clarify in the sense that I don't base my whole being around it. Just kind of a, you know, I got a little boost today because this little good thing happened. In the time that I've been with Olivia, my third eye has been closed more so than at any other time in my life. I'm a little bit older. I'm past the age of where like my own whimsy is guiding my actions and decisions. So I don't have the same imagination and hopefulness for anything beyond what I'm experiencing. And I'm aware of the fact that that's not necessarily correct. I just can't correct it myself right now. I need to have an external experience open that back up for me. And then here's Olivia. We see three of the same number everywhere. And it's like, angel numbers, baby. It's a good day today. And I think that just feeds into the same theory of, I don't think there's anything special happening. So I don't see special things happening. And she does see special things happening. So they are happening. Oh, absolutely. But my big rebuttal that I was thinking of for her is that I don't want to say more primitive, but a lot more naturalistic civilizations have had that same thing. Like the Indians dance for rain, like the Mayans sacrifice to gods. Mm -hmm. And they all got wiped out. It didn't help them that they were doing all those things. It might have aided their thought in that it was helping at the time, but it didn't save them from the inevitable. So I will say that, yes, I believe there's a little bit of whatever gets you by gets you by. Like you search for the things that make you feel better about this existence. I believe that there is a team out there helping me. I'd like to believe it at least, if nothing else. Yeah. And like I say, my objective here is not to prove anyone wrong. It's just to find evidence for what anyone might believe. That's kind of the fun thing. There's another quote from that book, like I'll probably mention it a million other times in future episodes. I love that John Dies at the End series, just because it's such an expansive take on what horror is. Another quote from that book is that the devil's greatest trick was convincing the world there's only one of him. When in like the biblical context, like the devil's trick was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yeah. It truly is just a free for all the way that the rest of life is. What if instead of Catholicism or Judaism or Buddhism or any other religion being right, what if they're all right? Yeah. Just off of the power of people's belief in them. What if there is an alternate reality where whatever people believe the truth? What if they all had a hand in our creation down here in this weird little strange reality? Lush pit we're all in. This weird little flesh pit we all inhabit. Yeah, to go off what you were saying. Energy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to be kind of a classless idiot and and ape recent to this recording Duncan Trussell and Joe Rogan podcast got a shout out the biggest podcaster in the industry right and there's no rules in podcasting so but to shout out a conversation that they were having Duncan and Joe always go like existential like psychedelic you know what's really going on under the hood of creation and Duncan was saying, no matter what you do in life, no matter what's waiting for you at the end, whether it's a heaven or hell, or if we just rot in the ground, or if we just become plants, trees, energies repurposed, you can never fail by just being kind. Like no one's ever going to run up to you in the afterlife. Like, what the hell were you doing? Like you were nice to all those people. What's wrong with you? You were so good to everybody. Love and peace. Bash the stampede. You got to <laughs> treat everyone as if they were you. <laughs> it's so hard to boil it down anymore. yeah i mean that's another little theory i've kind of had tucked in my back pocket that i turn over every now and again in my quiet moments you know i'm sitting down in a bath drinking a glass of wine got your pit vipers on what's up <laughs> what a vibe <laughs> one of the things i think about is that if i danny were born as you olivia me danny if i were born exactly <laughs> as you olivia in like chemistry, history, body, mind, and soul, as you, Olivia, I would have been exactly you as you are right now sitting across from me. You think? Yeah, and that's probably the same for every person that's ever existed, right? If you had the same energy around you, same upbringing, same DNA passed down through the ages, you would be exactly the person that you meet in everyday life. You would be your parents if you were born in those situations. We were talking about this earlier at dinner. You would be everybody. Everybody is exactly you as you would have been in those circumstances. Yeah, I believe that. You would have been Hitler. Whoever. I like to think that knowing Literally myself, anybody. I would have put my own flair, my je ne sais You would have, but that's you now. If yeah. you were you, me, like... Correct. Yeah, nature versus nurture. What's the deal? And that goes back to the Jesus and the Buddhism of it all. You know what I mean? Like stick around. (laughs) Treat others as you would treat yourself. Because we are each other. We're the universe having a dream of itself. We are every raindrop going down a window during the storm. We are everything and everything is us. And that's why everything's so great. And that's why everything's so fucked up. And that's why people that believe in reincarnation believe that you treat everything with the same kind of kindness. You could come back one day as those things. And that's what this podcast is about. Getting to the bottom of all of life's mysteries. Yeah, it's like belief in general all has the same energy. Yeah, that you believe that there is something better or that... That you have faith, that you have belief is a power. And that's something I actually want to talk about. Maybe another time. We're we're getting up there. (laughs) Let's give this episode an official end. Yeah. Miss Olivia. It's nice talking to you. Thank you for putting up with me. Like you had a choice. That's it. I was excited. This is the first two-part episode of this little hometown horrors podcast thing we got going. You did it. We did it. We did it. More episodes to come, I promise. And More uh, getting to the truth. Getting to the truth, whether it's a universal objective truth or just a person's truth. I want to hear them all. I want to hear everything. I want to hear fun ghost stories. My goal is to interview every single person in the DMV. Okay. All of them. (laughs) Bring it on. We're all doing this thing. We're getting on the pod, baby. Let's talk about this weird thing we're all going through, this life thing. Maybe we'll do a part three. That's for the Patreon that currently doesn't exist. The full moon's up. So we're about to get some energy. Wherever this is uh, coming to you, take it easy. Peace, love, and chicken grease. Take it in, take it out, but don't take it without a grain of salt. See ya. Come on, come on.
Now those were some frightfully fun stories. Howdy everybody, it's me, your host, Danny. And I wanted to let you in on something special. You might have noticed that when I introduce the show, I say we are the Hometown Horrors Podcast. That's because there will always be at least three people in each episode. Me, the person who wants to hear a good story, the guest, the teller of a good story, and you, the listener, that takes that story and carries it with you out into the world. And we make up a special kind of trinity. We are the Hometown Horrors Podcast. And if you ever want to graduate from listener to guest, reach out to us via our handle on Instagram, hometown underscore horrors underscore podcast. Our email is the hometown horrors podcast, no spaces, at gmail.com or via text or phone call at 571-358-8880, which FYI is not my personal number, but give it a ring. I'll get back to you because if there's anything I've learned from doing the podcast is that everybody has a story and that story deserves to be heard. On your number one source for the most spine-tingling, gut-wrenching, insomnia-inducing stories around the Hometown Horrors Podcast.